Thank you for tuning in to another edition of the Business of Fun podcast. I am your host, Dave Wakeman. Today's episode is brought to you by my friends at Booking Protect, the global leader in refund protection. Working with Booking Protect can allow you to offer your guests a better buying experience, greater peace of mind in their purchases, and it can create a brand new revenue stream for you and your organization. To find out how you can partner with Booking Protect, the number one refund protector as rated on Trustpilot, visit them at www.bookingprotect.com. My guest today is Susan Shaw. Susan is the Director of Athletics Communications and Strategy at the University of Mobile in Alabama. And Susan was suggested to me by a friend of the podcast, Chris Asa, who has at Cal Poly Pomona. Awesome place. Um, so this was a really great conversation we had. It was really interesting because Susan has a background in entrepreneurship. And one of the reasons that Mobile hired her was because of that background. And so in our conversation, we spend a lot of time talking about entrepreneurship and marketing and the speed of change in college athletics and colleges, um, you know, how you can constantly be moving forward. We talk a little bit about, um, you know, how faith guides her. We talk a lot about, um, you know, mindset. We talk, we, we had a really, really cool conversation. We, t- we touched on strategy and communications and, um, you know, ways to grow a program, a way to grow a culture and ways to innovate and ways to uh, change. Um, it was really, really a great conversation with Susan Shaw. I hope you enjoy it. I'm really happy to welcome Susan Shaw from the University of Mobile to the Business of Fun podcast. Susan, what is happening? Hey, Dave. Um, living the dream down here on the Gulf Coast. Uh, we were just dodging hurricanes down here. No, all jokes aside, beautiful skies and, and great weather. How are you? Oh, you know, I'm great. I'm great. You know, just podcasting, just introducing ideas to the world here today, um, which I think is going to make this conversation that we're going to have just slightly different than maybe the normal Business of Fun podcast because. Um, you are now in charge of strategy and communications at the University of Mobile. And I know that one of the interesting things when we first started talking was about how Mobile, you, you Mobile, Mobile, geez, I should know better, um, <laughs> went out looking for people who were entrepreneurs and doing very well in that regard in the community because they thought they could bring skills to the university that would be different and that would allow you to create a higher level of impact. Um, and I thought it was a really great concept and I thought it was something that maybe like a lot of colleges and universities don't do. And I think that it's something that at once you explain it to everybody is going to have a clear impact on people who listen to this thing in entertainment and sports and performing arts and everywhere. So can you kind of give us, just a short overview of like how you came to be in the role you're in right now. Absolutely. It's, it's actually a pretty funny story. You know, if you would have, if we would have been having this conversation, you know, a year and a half, two years ago, and you would have said, Hey, Susan, I think the role of higher education athletics, or even just, you know, working in higher education would be a great fit for you. Um, or something that you should really just go hard after and pursue, I probably would have shaken your hand again or stuck my hand out and said, hey, Dave, have, have we met? Uh, my name's Susan. And, uh, but, you know, I've been in the sports business side of things uh, for a little while and mostly with sports commissions and um, dipped my toe in with a few different teams and whatnot. And so um, I've loved every minute of that. And so why not expound, you know, on, on the world of sport and certainly especially in the U.S., we have a 
you know, we've got all of the um, NCAA and NAIA and all these different um, conferences therein and this this business model that most countries don't have. And so it's certainly an empire and a, you know something that's been built up over time that is highly respected and I'm excited to be a part of it. You know, uh, two years ago, the University of Mobile, which is based uh, just north of Mobile, Alabama on the Gulf Coast, um, and it, one of the most, and I'm, I might be a little biased, but I'll be completely honest here, um, though it is my alma mater, it is one of the most beautiful campuses I will ever set foot on. Um, and I've tra traveled to quite a few throughout the U.S. It's a small liberal arts school um, that is rapidly growing. And I think that that can, um, it's a testament that uh, to that growth is, is really how they're bringing in uh, business-minded folks and, and entrepreneurs to help um, you know, grow this model. And, and those that really have a growth mindset or what I call a growth mindset um, to help others and, and help further education and the experience of not only just the student athlete, but the student as a whole. So about two years ago, we had this new administration, uh, Dr. Tim Smith and Dr. Chris McCarron uh, come into the university and they have just absolutely poured their hearts um, into this place. And it is, it's really impeccable, the work that they've accomplished and, and the teams that they have surrounded themselves with. Um, you know, I came on less than about 100 days ago. And so uh, I'm, I'm definitely, you know, drinking from a fire hose and learning the processes and, and seeing why they do what they do and, and how it's working. But I am one of uh, several uh, business minded and um, otherwise entrepreneurs, so to speak, that they've brought on board. And it's this unique uh, intersection that you find between business leaders or local business leaders or um, business leaders around the U.S. that have come in to, uh, to kind of intersect with higher education and, and see how we can grow from there. And it's, it's taking the life experience that they've gained out in the real world and applying it in the classroom so that we can stay to uh, or, or really up our game to be a cutting edge university. And I think that we're definitely well on our way there. Yeah, the word that when we were chatting for a few minutes before we started recording that you kept bringing, there was two words. And the first one I want to bring up that you kept, you you came back to a couple times is instinct and that there's an instinct that people have who have been entrepreneurs and who maybe come from a different background from higher education that they bring to this world of higher education. And I thought it was interesting because I I'd never really heard anybody talk about it that way before. And one of the you know, key kind of philosophies that I have is that it's really important for any organization in any area to look for ideas that come from unusual places, or, you know, typically that may be from outside of their own industry. Um, but can you describe the, this, what the instinct that you're, you were talking about with me earlier is and sort of how it really does apply to fitting into the model of higher education? Because there couldn't be really to a further thing from an entrepreneur in higher education. One's built on speed and adaptability and higher education typically is a much more reserved and conservative institution. Absolutely. I think that you hit the nail, you know, on the head right there when you said it's, it's adaptability, right? It's, it's, it's pulling out the grit um, in those folks that have, that have been out in the real world. And, and, and I'm not, you know, bashing by any means on higher education. I think that the, the model there is absolutely fantastic. And I think that, you know, it's something to certainly be cherished and, and continue on. But I will say that, you know, entrepreneurs, it's 
when it is yours and it's your money and you're taking ownership of it and it affects your life and it's your bottom line, you do take that sense of ownership. That grit comes out that if you have an issue, you're just going to go fix it. And, you know, I, I use the analogy that, you know, you're flipping a house, right? So you come in and, and you know, if you buy a, a house to flip, typically you're going to take that house off the market for a little while, fix the issues in it fluff it up, make it look really nice and then turn around and sell it and, and make a great profit, hopefully off of that house. You know, we are coming in to improve, um, you know, the athletic department here at UM and, and give more opportunities to our student athletes and, and really make sure that we have a foundation that, that excites people every day when they get up, just like you would an entrepreneur as they, you know, are getting up to go and, and work toward their goals and, and, um, you know, accomplish their dreams. We want the same, mindset in our department. So I look for something called a growth mindset. Um, and that is somebody that's just, they're excited to get out of bed every morning. I know we talked earlier about those rough mornings every once in a while. And um, you defined you know, it much better though than I did. So, I mean, I think your, your uh, rough morning example was pretty great. <laughs> hey man, I just want to surround myself with good people that are, that are trying to do it right. I don't know. I don't have it figured out. And uh, I, I think I was just being a curmudgeon. <laughs> It's what it, it was what it boiled down to. What's that? I think my my explanation of not wanting to get out of bed at some mornings was I was just being a curmudgeon <laughs> as opposed oh. to anything else. Hey, we all have those moments, right? <laughs> I certainly do sometimes. Um, but yeah, so it's just this grit about, it's all about the grit of, you know, it's about wanting to wake up and, and help others as much as possible one of the things that we look for here that we I touched on a little bit earlier with you in our conversation was we look for people that are not afraid to work really hard. Right. So if I'm, you know, internally, I think my plumb line and this is where a lot of my faith comes in. Um, I look for people to join my team that love God, love people, are not afraid of effort an effort based model. Right. And. And say those are your first three rules, right? And I don't play by the rules all the time very well. You ask anybody that knows me well, they like to say, you know, hey, I, I, I like rules, but I like to challenge them if I don't, you know, absolutely agree with that rule. But um, hey, I guess that's the entrepreneur in me, right? So the number four, though, is is key. And you can't miss the fact that you can't be afraid to use number three to support Support number one and number two as much as you possibly can, right? So you can't be afraid to use hard work and effort to support the love of people and the love of God as much as possible. And so that's kind of my MO when it comes to building teams. And so far, I've been I've been blessed in how it's worked out. Yeah, there, and there's two things here that I want to touch on because one of the things is is that um, Alicia Jessup <laughs> was on a couple weeks back, um, and we had a really great conversation. She brought up her faith as well. And one of the things that I, I tried to explain to the audience that was listening at the time was that I think it's really important that you have faith in something no matter what. And and I said that in a way because I was like, I look, took this religion class in college and this is a new story for everybody so that, I, that nobody tunes out. Um, and it was like an intro to religion thing. And the, the teacher I think had been thrown out. He was a preacher and he was a Catholic, or I think he was a Catholic preacher, sorry, you know, whatever. And then he was thrown out and became a Methodist. And he said that like the most important thing that he had learned 
was that it didn't matter what you believed in as long as you believed in something. And it was like a way for you to ground yourself and to, you know, always bring yourself back to center. And, you know, and I brought up kind of sort of the same example with Alicia. And I think it's very important because we don't, you know, you hear faith a lot of times and you, you people just turn it off a lot in a lot of ways. And I think the way that you have, you, you've described it to me in our conversations and the way Alicia is scared, um, explained it before is very informative for people because it, it's not so much that you have to believe in one God over another. It's the fact that like you just, it, it's sort of a guiding principle and it's something that helps like keep you centered. Right. Because, and I think that's important if I'm not misstating, uh, mis, mistaking what you said to me, um, it keeps you grounded and keeps you focused on doing what matters. Is that, would that be accurate? You know, I think it's accurate to a point. I am going to be very real with you. I believe in Jesus and I, so that's my MO, right? But I'm, here's what's different about me. I am never going to, you know, judge you for living your life. I think everybody's given um, the gift of self-control. I think everybody's given the, the gift of choice. And I think that, you know, just because someone makes different choices or, or, um, puts their time into something different than I do, that's not my place to judge. But through my faith, I do feel very called to love people, like I said, right? So that comes with just doing life with people. I don't think any one person's better, including myself, is better than anyone else. And I think that, you know, that's why I love sports so much, right? So sports has this unique uh, trend in it. And it's something that's been around since, you know, we were born and, you know, early generations have figured it out. But like, if you look at the history of sport, people have loved even, you know, early, early, early um, BC times, like people just loved enjoying their bodies in motion. I like to call that the spirit of play. I think people really get behind um, the spirit of play. It's, It's something that's naturally in every human being. I think that whether it be your football or my football, you may throw yours. I may kick mine. We can be, we can, that can be a common ground for us to uh, build a relationship or a friendship on. And I think that, you know, we won't always agree, but I think one thing that we can all be better about is learning how to disagree and how to disagree well. Yeah, no, no, I think, I think that's great. And I, I and I, hopefully I didn't come across like I was like um, in any way trying to, um, you know, say something bad about anybody's faith or anything. It was just like, I, I, I try to make it clear that like it, faith comes in many different forms and that it's like really important that you do have something like that, that like you, you can fall back on. It could be a meditation practice. It could be whatever it is. But, I, but to me, it's always been something that's like really been, you know, important, you know, and not, and not necessarily to have a label and, and, you know, and I know sometimes you, you, um, not you specifically, maybe it's me. Um, you know, it's like you, you, you can lose people if you, you know, you don't make that really, really clear about how, you know, how important it is just to have a way to like, you know, some, something that pulls you back and that connects you and, you know, it gives you that focus. Like you said to, you know, it drives you to love people and to love, you know, love the idea of effort and it, and then, I think it helps push you towards that, you know, having the faith and grit, right? Which is like, you know, because that if that's if grit isn't an act of faith in most instances, nothing is, right? Because most of the a lot of this hard work, it it doesn't. You're like, I'm ever going to get through it until I actually achieve something, and you know, sometimes doing things and not know, you know knowing that they're the right thing, but not knowing that the outcome is going to work out. I mean, those are huge acts of faith. So, you know, and I mean, and that's sort of like the angle I was coming at for it. And it was, you know, um, so hopefully it didn't come across in the wrong way. 
No, not by any stretch of the imagination. You know, Dave, I think it's so important for us to, to talk about this because it's something that is untouched on in so many ways. And I think, you know, that's my point of being able to unite, um, easily unite different cultures through this spirit of play or the idea of it is because we can't go into any other culture or, you know, shoot these days, most any other country and pick up a conversation about politics or about religion and expect to make buddy, buddy, right? Like it's just not how it works. And so there's so many things that polarize us, um, that's, you know, come out of those conversations and so, and, and quickly too. So as to not, uh, offend or, or, you know, draw an enemy up quickly, even though, you know, you, that may not be your intention or, you know, certainly wouldn't be, I think that, and well, I'm clumsy too. sometimes too. So, I mean, let's give myself credit. What's that? <laughs> I can be a little clumsy sometimes too. So let me, let, you know, credit where credit's due. <laughs> no worries. I'm the, I'm the same way. Hey, I think that uh, I wouldn't be where I am today if I hadn't run into a few walls here and there, right? <laughs> I mean, but I think, I think really like to me, the whole thing comes together. And, and, and this is what I really like is like, you talk about the spirit of play and it has all these pillars. Right. And it's, um, you know, and I, and I, like you said, you, you can't just go in anywhere anymore and necessarily bulldoze your way through a conversation. Right. Like uh, in a way, you know, we're seeing the deterioration of like, uh, and, and, you know, hopefully it won't be a long-term thing, but like of, of America being a beacon of hope for the rest of the world. Right. I mean, that's, that's something that I think we're seeing right now and it sucks because if you have faith, you know, in the, you know, in that spirit, that marketing story that is America, you know, it, it's, it's, it's horrible, but um, the spirit of play, you know, it does, it translates, you know, cultures, it translates, you know, it bridge it brings people together right right like a great story i saw was i don't know if it was the world cup or whatever about but you know you know way people from all different religions are able to come together on the pitch and like celebrate um you know the joy like you said i think you call it like the joy of movement right it's just you know that that's a fantastic philosophy that you're you're sharing i mean you know and and you know and i think you you codified it and explained it in such a great way that's very true and i think you know it as we build these teams and we look at the sports specifically, right? Like there's this, I think that uniting piece is being able to fail together. Like even we can all win together, but we have to be able to fail together first. Right. And fail. Well, we're not going to just go out there and have all the answers. You know, I'm, I'm a firm believer that if I'm the smartest man in the room, I'm in definitely in the wrong room, mainly not because, you know, I think that I'm better than anybody else or, or smarter or not smarter than anybody else. But I think that if I've stopped listening if I've stopped hearing what people have to say and, and valuing the fact that I can learn something from everybody in the room, then what's the point? You know, I think that, you know, listening and learning from other people is something that we should always uh, look to do. I think that we'd be, you know, I definitely I'm well off listening more than I speak sometimes. <laughs> I, I know this is true for me as well. And I think uh, when you say that, let me ask you this about that too, because this is one thing, um, I, I don't, this is another one of those points I don't think people can hear often enough. And I may be wrong, which, you know, ask anybody who knows me won't be the first time. Um, but when you talk about listening and being the smartest person in the room, it doesn't necessarily mean that, that there aren't, that I'm not smarter about certain things than everybody else in the room. It's to me, at least it means that like recognizing the fact that everybody is a genius in some way and that there's always something I can learn from the people around me. 
um, you know, no matter what, you know, no matter if big or small. And sometimes just being curious about people opens tremendous doors and opportunities that you might otherwise miss. And, you know, I don't know if that's sort of the heart of what you were talking about, but um, I'd be really curious about what your opinion is as far as like when you say that about being the smartest person in the room and being willing to listen. Yeah, that's exactly it. It's it's being able to value the fact that everybody has something to bring to the table and everybody has something throughout has, has come across something or or has experienced uh, a situation in their lives that's different than everybody else's in the room. And I think we find great communication when you find those similarities, but also those differences. And I think that 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 type of collaboration, that type of communication can benefit us all. Okay. So let me see if I have this straight. What I've heard throughout the, you know, pretty much most of this podcast so far is there's two themes that that I think you have brought up over and over again. And the number one is that leader, and I guess maybe it's just a big overarching idea of leadership. And it's that it's easy to be a leader when everything's going well. And that real leadership shows up when things aren't going well or when people just don't agree. Am I, am, am I right or am I wrong or am I like somewhere in the middle? Man, yeah, that's that's a very true statement. It's, you know, we, we go in and we you know study to how to do the right thing and we, we read up and we learn as much as we possibly can. And then, right, and then we go out and something happens or a situation happens to us and, you know, it's people happen and we, you know, it gets, if there's people involved, it's going to get messy. And that's what I love about doing life with people is because it's messy and it's real and you've got to get down to the nitty gritty. And it's not so much about leading people, but it's about inspiring people to just do the right thing and to help as many people as possible and, and inspiring people to do something that they love. Yeah. Well, let, let me ask you too, because th- there was an interesting thing that I mentioned to you before. And it was because, you know, and then we had a conversation offline about um, Eli Gold and his philosophy of interviewing, which, again, this probably fits right into what he was talking about. But I saw that you on your Facebook page had a quote from Teddy Roosevelt called the man in the arena, if I'm not mistaken. Um, What does that mean to you and how does that kind of buy into your philosophy of leadership and strategy? And, you know, how does that play into the role that you, you, you fill now? You know, a uh, couple things there that you mentioned. I had the pleasure of, of chatting with uh, Mr. Eli Gold this morning, the voice of the Alabama Crimson Tide, and I'd probably be a remiss adopted Mobilian if I didn't say Roll Tide to that. Um, but wow, what a tradition there. And and he's built his career on fact-finding and sharing and telling the story that is factual and what is real and honest. And, and he uses this um this approach as he admires in other interviewers that that are really worth their salt that they don't over they, they certainly come prepared you come prepared to an interview if you or to a meeting or to whatever you're doing like come prepared right that's number one but in an interview you can't come over prepared and you probably see this a lot Dave in your um in your podcast like you can't over prepare yourself like if you're interviewing somebody that's written a book then you know don't read the book and a lot of people say like, oh, no, read the book, know everything about this person. But if I'm a listener and I'm, you know, queuing in to somebody like I don't want to necessarily know everything about them from what I've read. I want to hear it from them. I want to experience them. And 
if I'm if I've already read everything about them and have dug really deep into everything about them, then I'm probably asking them questions that I already know the answer to. And really, what fun is that? I, I don't I don't find any I don't find any growth in that. Um, I want to I want to get to know the real person. Yeah, no, that's that's, that's sort of how I have um, kind of taking taking this role of being a podcast host is I want to be surprised. I want to, if I've already scripted out all the questions, I know all the answers, I know everything, then I, I can't be surprised. And then what, then what I feel like is that if I'm not surprised, then the audience not surprised. And if I'm not going to be surprised, then I'm really not paying attention to the person talking. And if I'm not paying attention, then, you know, people can tell. So the best ones are the ones where I'm like, I won't say that I'm ignorant, um, or, or stupid. It was just like, I, I don't know the answer, right? Or I don't know what the person is going to say to me. And then it, and we have a conversation that I don't know the answer to. And, and that's what's great. And, I, and, you know, and so I think that's like a really good observation. And like, it's a really great piece of advice because it makes me feel a little bit better about the way that I approach these things. You know, you asked me about the, uh, the, quote that I keep at the top of my Facebook page currently, and it's, it's the man in the arena, um, an expert, an excerpt of a fantastic speech given by uh, President Theodore Roosevelt. And I just, I admire the ability to motivate others and to find truth. And there's no, you know, he points out in that speech that it's not about the critic. Like, it's not about pointing out, you know, who did what or, or pointing fingers. It's about, getting out there and doing the right deeds and, and, and those that strive to succeed and strive to help others. And um, that can, you know, as we're on this role and I go back to the entre- the intersection of entre- entrepreneurism and higher education, right? Like we're on this journey that we're not just here to change perceptions. We're here to change lives. We're here to improve the lives of others instead of just merely changing their perceptions. And so, you know, the last of that, um, that quote or that, that segment of the speech um, is that if he fails, at least he fails while, while daring greatly, meaning, you know, we don't, we're not going to have it all right, but we're going to at least try our hearts out and, and give it all we've got in the meantime. You know, I've, one thing I've always admired about my dad is the ability that he's had, um, you know, he had four girls. I'm the youngest of four girls and we all ended up uh, playing in sports or working in sports in some capacity. So some say, oh, your poor dad, four girls, what did he do without boys? But I think he knew exactly what he was doing um, as all of us learned how to, you know, change our tires and uh, uh, rotate them and, and change our oils and had a hand in the purchase of our first vehicle. And, you know, he teach us how to, you know, just life lessons. And one of those life lessons that he got from his dad was the, um, that of a plumb line and how to use a plumb line and the analogy of that. So talking about learning something new, I've got to ask this question. Dave, do you know what a plumb line is? Loosely I do, but I'm sure I probably have it wrong. (laughs) I literally, you know, anytime I I talk about it, you'd be surprised at the number of people that don't know what this is. And it speaks to this. Before before you give us the definition, I want to go back to like your dad teaching you all these life lessons. Because I want want to applaud him for this because I'm going to go out on a limb and I'm going to say, I don't think like a lot of dads are teaching their sons these life lessons anymore. So the fact that he taught all of his daughters, these life lessons is even, it's, it's super impressive. Let me give you this quick story, this quick sidebar about one of the life lessons that is by visually something that I, I absolutely remember like it was yesterday. 
I was um, one of the big things. We lived in a neighborhood in Omaha, Nebraska, as I was growing up. And we're all the way out on like the West Coast. I think we were the last neighborhood before the cornfields started for miles in those, you know, beautiful rolling hills. So, you know, we didn't have a ton of TV time or, you know, radio time or electronics when I was growing up. Like the iPhone was not a thing. It was still a flip phone, right? And, and barely that. Uh, I definitely remember a time with pagers. And, um, you know, one of the things that we really liked doing was going out to help dad in the garage. Whatever he was tinkering with or whatever he was doing, you know, um, as he was working, you know, hard, whether he was working on a vehicle or, or building something for the house or, you know, all those honeydew projects, right? And so um, one day I go outside and I was about five years, five or six years old, and I really wanted to help dad. And I, I he didn't, he was doing something that was probably not uh, a good thing for me to be right underfoot at the time. So he gave me a block of wood, a little two by four, a couple little pieces of two by four, right? He gave me my own safety glasses. And I thought I was like the coolest person on the planet because I had my very own safety glasses. And he gave me a hammer and a old coffee can of nails. And he said, have at it. Like, it was like my coloring book, right? Like I got a hammer and a bunch of nails and I came out with a couple, you know, bruised thumbs, I think from, you know, trying not to miss the nail or try not to miss the hammer on the head of the nail um, or miss it completely and get skin. But I hammered, I hammered my heart away, right? Like I probably spent hours just picking all these nails in these boards and thinking what a fun thing to do. I, it kept me occupied. So I, I finally, like I get tired of it and I have effectively driven all of these nails into this board and probably with a no ounce of form whatsoever. And I took it to my dad to show him this masterpiece that I had created at the age of five and, and, and thought, thinking like, man, he's going to be so proud of me. You know, this is so cool. I really wanted to show it off, right? And I remember taking it to my dad and my dad um, looking at it. And I, re I specifically remember him saying, now what? You got to put it all back. And I thought, oh, I felt in the moment, I felt almost deflated, right? But as I went on and as I've, I've grown, I realized that he made me go back out to the driveway and learn how to undo what I had just done. He taught me how to right the wrong, right? And not that it was wrong for me to drive nails into the board, but what good was that piece of board on his shelf with a bunch of nails in it? You know, it, it would, they would stick out and it wouldn't, you know, fit the right way. But he, he made me literally go and try to figure out how to use the backside of the tool backside of the hammer to wedge our unwedge, I guess, every single nail in that block. And I must have been out there with him for hours. And was it fun at the time? Probably not. Was it, you know, hard work? Yeah, absolutely. But it was the right thing to do to be able to put the block of wood back where it was supposed to go and I could use it again the next time. And did I go shove those nails in there as hard as I did that first time? Probably not ever, you know, again, but it was this, it was this way of teaching me how to not just, um, how to go the extra mile, right. And how to, to put more in and give back more than I had, um, initially put in. Yeah, no. And I think that's, um, that goes back to the grit, right? I mean, every, everything's sort of circling around these, these ideas of grit and, uh, you know, hard work, which I don't think you can ever, um, you hear enough about. 
I mean, I really honestly don't. Um, but I think I, I interrupted you because you were going to explain to me what the plumb line means. <laughs> yeah, so a plumb line um, is actually, it's really, really intricate. Are you ready? It's a piece of string and it has a weight, which is also called a plumb, attached to the bottom of it. It's often used for finding depth of water or determining the vertical on an upright surface. It's an old, it's a very old school measuring tool. Okay. So the idea behind it and where, and you'll see probably a faith connection in this as well for me, um, you know, it's always going to give you a straight line. It's always going to give you a steady point and something to measure up against. So it, if the, the idea is if the weight is heavy enough at the bottom, then it will anchor that string to always give you a point A to a point B that is a straight line, that is an upright, that is, you know, what he calls going vertical. And so his dad used to, and my grandfather used to use this as he would square away, quote unquote, square away uh, foundations of houses or, or measure, you know, anything that he would need to get a, a vertical line. And it's something that my dad actually still has the, um, the tool in his possession that his, his father and his grandfather used. And it's, a, it's really neat. It's actually really, really heavy. And it's something that um, I've always kind of used it as an analogy or a plumb line, so to speak, about, you know, it's about finding the truth. It's about finding what your upright is and what you are going to measure your life up against. And the, what is the plumb line of your life? And how are you using that truth to help others and to do the right thing? And to, you know, what are you measuring up against? And uh, I think that internally we all have a plumb line. It's just a matter of how we use it. And, and how often we stick to it. And so my dad has always taught us to just, just do the right thing for the right reasons. And, um, you know, without that idea of a plumb line, I think that um, I might be a very different person today. Yeah, no, I think that's like a really important idea for people to keep in mind, right? It goes back, um, like you said, there's probably a faith, a faith connotation to this. Um, and then there's, um, uh, I think... I want to say it's um, there's a book called Goals by a guy called Brian Tracy, and I'll try to remember the put, <coughs> put the notes to the books in, in, in the show notes. But and it talked about having personal values, and to me, that's what I, I think of when you talk about the plumb line. Right? Is like understand what values you hold most important, right? Because it's going to help you make decisions and decisions in a way that is more. Um, consistent with who you see yourself as is this you know as this is the story of who i am right because i don't necessarily know that people always have a real understanding of the connection between you know values or faith or um who they are and the decisions they make right because it's very easy with all the noise going on in the world to get drawn in many many different directions and sometimes you end up making decisions I don't want to say in a vacuum, but in um, in a manner that doesn't necessarily always reflect you doing what you think is the right thing, or want, or what you want to be the right thing, or and, or maybe uh, maybe I'm way way off base again. No, not at all. I think that's such a good point. I think you know I was I was skimming through a book called Factfulness the other day, and it's um, one of Bill Gates like most. He says it's most one of the most important books he's ever read. Um, and about, it's about clarity and finding the truthfulness and everything that you do and searching for that. And one of the lines in there that really caught my attention is that, you know, if you have the world, if your worldview is wrong, then you will systematically make wrong guesses 
as you go in. And I think that we can get caught up so easily in that cycle of, of you know, not necessarily wrongdoing. Maybe that's it for some people. But I, I think that, you know, we should never grow weary of doing good things and, and, and always stay on our toes when it comes to helping others and to um, just, again, I, I go back to doing the right things for the right reasons, but also to, to making good decisions for others. I think one of the things that I've, I've learned over time and I'm still, it's a constant lesson day in and day out are the decisions that I make. Um, they are going to affect people, not just today, but in the future as well. And so being able to see, it's like playing chess versus checkers, right? Like, I don't want to just play checkers because that's like looking one move ahead, maybe two moves ahead. But chess, you got to think four and five and six and seven moves ahead. And, you know, where that that move may affect you down the road or affect others down the road. And so I think, you know, there was an article out that the Auburn AD had an interview. And one of the things that he, he mentioned was, um, you know, as he takes on this new role, He's really trying to gauge, you know, where and how his decisions will impact and the full impact of what his, his decisions and his actions will be before he makes those decisions or acts upon those things. And I think that's just a credit to being able to put yourself in other people's shoes and understand where they're at and meet them where they're at and and learn what they're passionate about and why they, you know, what makes them tick and, um, uh, you know, help them out as much as you can, as much as you can along the way, so that they do take ownership in what you what you're trying to do. You know, if they can see your vision, they can they might be more likely to buy into it. I I, I think that's definitely true in all things that we do. And what you just said there is, you know, because I'm, I'm I'll be the first to admit our conversation probably veered way way off the topic of marketing and selling sports and entertainment and everything, but that's totally cool because I think that. We've we got with that last answer, we did get back around to a very important idea, um, which I think if you couple it with everything we talked about, um, should have some impact on people, um, which is that you have to remember that what you want is not as important as what the people you're trying to lead or persuade or convince want, right? It should be the number one rule of marketing, which is that you are not your audience. Your audience and the people you're trying to reach and convert and get excited or get involved with what you're doing are going to have an entirely different worldview than you are. And when I go around and talk, do from time to time, I'll do a, uh, a workshop about storytelling. And the, the key idea I try to get across is that everybody you encounter has a worldview. That worldview, though, is going to have been shaped by everything that's happened to them their entire life. You, as the person who's trying to convert them and persuade them to do something different, have to understand that it is expensive or unlikely that you are going to be able to change someone's worldview. The most important thing that you can do is understand what their worldview is and then take your truth, your facts, the, the, the idea you're trying to share with them and get them to react to in whatever way you want to happen and explain it to them in a way that fits their worldview because trying to change somebody's worldview is expensive and it most of the time doesn't work. Um, you know, so, so, you know, that idea that you are not your market and, you know, the idea of talking about how helping people understand what you need from them or what want from them is really, it's the core of marketing and it's the core of like a lot of what we do, even if we don't recognize it. Well, and to market well, like you said, we've got to understand what that worldview for others and what our 
you know, what our audience's worldviews are and so that we can stop talking at them and start having a conversation with them. But if we don't do that first, we're never going to get to what their experiences are and why they think the way they think. And, you know, we can have all the data in the world that talks about tendencies, but at the end of the day, you're never going to truly reach people if you don't try to put yourself in their shoes and, and figure out what make again, what makes them tick and, and use that to, not to your advantage, but to the gain of both there, right? So a friend of mine often says like, hey, I'm not here to compete with you. I hope we all win. Whatever, you know, whatever helps you in your situation, whatever helps, you know, me in my situation, let's figure out how to win together. And that goes back to the idea of teamwork and working well together and agreeing and disagreeing well with one another. And, and you know, that's, that's vital for team building, but it's also vital for marketing your product successfully and um, doing life with others. Yeah. And I, and I think this is like, it's, it's a good on road to, you know, the work you're currently doing, right? Because you have basically been brought in to, I guess, change the scope if, and tell me if I'm, this is an inaccurate description, but change the scope of the uh, U of M's athletic department, right? You, that you want to help create a world where U of M's athletic department is bigger and better and more widely recognized, if, if I'm not mistaken. You know, it's, it's funny that you say that. I, I'm not a huge fan of talking about change because change sometimes leads to the lack of full communication and lack of communication, I think, breeds fear. So I like to talk about what the future looks like and use the word improvements a lot, right? And I think that's, you know, six of one, half dozen of the other, but it's all about in changing that lingo and, and bringing out the um, comfort in other people and creating this comfortable space to be able to um, create collaboration and, and let everybody be, a, a, you know, have some wins along the way, hear their ideas and, get their buy-in too. I think that's certainly important. And so, you know, yeah, absolutely. As we go forward, you know, this is, we want to create a, an atmosphere, a brand, a, something that is, you know, people are excited to be a part of something that is bigger than themselves. And so we don't just want to talk to our current fans. We want to make their experience better. We want to engage them and, uh, figure out how we can help them as well. But also, um, how do, what's that fan experience like going forward? What's the student athlete experience like? You know, we, um, we talk a lot these days about, as we should, certainly as we should, about mental health. If you look at athletes, you know, especially athletes that are injured, the, the rates for depression and anxiety and um, even suicide rates, they skyrocket after injury. But if we've waited until after they are injured to talk about mental health, then we have missed the mark. I think that if we start having that conversation early on and recruit the growth mindset and work with them to develop their mental game and look at the data behind that and why things work. And it goes back to the, you know, finding something to believe in and believing in your, your teammates and being able to use your words to lift up yourself, not only yourself, but others as well then you start really making something that people can get behind and really making a product that is, is really quality and that is, you don't have to sell it because it sells itself. No, that's, that's a really great um, way of putting it too. And it really, 
to me, it sounds like it fits right into your philosophy of growth, right? So you're not creating change and like trying to, um, the word you said, yeah, change. You're not trying to change what U of M does. You just want to grow it and make it, you know, more fulfilling to all the people involved in the program, both internally and externally, you know, and make it, and continue to make it something that people can, number one, be proud of now, but can even have more pride in as it grows. Or, or again, where am I wrong? Am I way off base there? Not at all. I think that's totally the idea behind it. You know, one of our one of our alumni, uh, actually a couple of our alumni have done just famously well, and, and certainly more than a couple, but one that's in the news quite a bit right now now is is um coach the bench coach for the Houston Astros coach Joe Espada and who has just become one of my favorite people lately he is he's doing great work with his team and he is one of those people that um you know he went here in the 90s and has has obviously you know made a name for himself and but at the end of the day he doesn't care about that he just cares about you know improving the the statue of those around him and how his actions assist others around him as much as possible. And I think that's something that we can all take lessons from. You know, I, I love connecting people. It's something that fascinates me because I think that, you know, and, and I connect with intention, right? So if I'm out and about and I hear um, somebody talk about something that I, I know would benefit someone else that I know, then I, I know that I, I've got to connect those people. Like that's too good to be true. Let's make sure they know each other. And I'm really intentional about trying to do that as much as I possibly can, you know, and it's, it's pays off. It pays dividends and getting to see how if you use your position and where you are today to help others increase their position, then the reward is limitless. So, you know, there's no limit to better, but that reward of, of helping others to gain more ground is, is huge. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I know that we uh, talked about this before. It, you know, it's the you, your impact can be so much greater if you focus on the you know how you can help people. You know, not just like not for selfish reasons, but just for completely unselfish reasons. And you know, and that's kind of what I like about the philosophy that you are trying to bring to to UM is that you know it's it's really it's about doing you know it kind of encapsulates everything we talked about. It, it, it encapsulates the spirit of play, it encapsulates your growth mindset, it, it, you know, it encapsulates the plumb line, it encapsulates all these different things. But the most important thing is it's not because it's going to make Susan be the best, right? And everybody be like, oh my God, how great is Susan? Even though you'll, you will receive, hopefully receive tremendous credit for it. But it's understanding that like by you doing something well and doing the right thing is that you're going to create this really powerful impact in the world which is like going to be way more impact than you could ever have on your own. Um, and I, you know, and I think that sometimes like no matter what we're doing in whatever area, right. It's like, we should always be focusing on the fact that we're working with people and the fact that like it, our impact on people can be so profound and have such a high level of impact. Um, you know, that it's like almost a missed opportunity if you let some of those moments get past you, you know, because it's the chance to have an impact is so fleeting in some cases, you know, and, and, and to me, that's what it really, you know, that's where my mind keeps coming back to when I'm talking to you is this idea of impact and not impact for you for selfish reasons, but for completely unselfish reasons. Absolutely. So I, you know, I don't know if you've ever experienced this or not, 
But if you have, and you know what I'm talking about, and you've, you've worked to create this culture, then and you've, you've even gotten a glimpse of it, then you are far better off. And, and it's, it's, it is so impactful when you are able to work alongside people that you know have your back and are, are advocating on your behalf, even when you're not looking. And that's, I mean, man, that's, that's teamwork. That is utter teamwork. It's all about putting your, you know, putting your teammates, putting your workmates, putting your family, putting your wife, putting your husband, putting your children, um, you know, and putting others in your community or in your village uh, above yourself or ahead of yourself um, as far as the pecking order goes and, and again, serving others. And I think, you know, we've obviously gotten off a little bit off track, but it goes back to, you know, you know, the ideas of leaderships and the foundation of, um, of loving others and, and serving others well, and how to, how to build successful teams on, in whatever you're doing, whether it be personal or, or, you know, for work. Yeah, no. And I, I think if I could sum, you know, and, and again, it, well, part of it's like a surprise, right? Like I didn't, I, you know, I have made three notes on my little index card here before we got started. And, you know, I had no idea where, what we we're going to talk about. Um, but if I think, you know, if we're trying to loop everything back to what the historically and historically it's my podcast, who cares? I was, you know, like the only history is mine, um, you know, but there's, there's three things here that like are really applicable to everybody. And there are three things probably that we, you know, we never spend enough time focusing on. What, number one is like if you're going to be successful in the this industry, if it's in college sports, if it's in professional sports, if it's in the performing arts or wherever, the theater, concerts, whatever, you need great amount of courage, right? Because the status quo is so very, very strong and not doing the right thing can sometimes feel like a default setting. So the, the courage to take the right action because it's the right thing to do is so super important. Number two is that you have to have a great deal of empathy for every, for people that you encounter, because the thing is, is like, you know, like we, I tried to sum up and who knows if I did it very well just a second ago, but like the key thing about marketing is that you can, you have to understand that you're not your market and that you need to be empathetic of the worldview that somebody else is bringing to the, the interaction you have with them because your ability to change their worldview is probably next to impossible. But your ability to tell them a story that fits into their worldview and can help shed some light on the way you see the world and why what you want them to do is important, that's infinite because you always have the ability to tell a better, more compelling story. But it begins with having that just incredible empathy for people, right? And that doesn't mean that you love, every, you know, you love everybody or like you like everybody. I guess um, it just means that you understand that everybody's bringing their own set of beliefs to a conversation, to an encounter. And then the final thing was that, like, you got to work your ass off. You got to work really, really hard because none of this stuff is easy, um, you know. And, and that's what I gained from the conversation with you. Um, and I, and you know, and I think if nothing else, those are three points that we should always keep in mind, no matter what direction this podcast takes or, or what have you, because those are just really three just key ideas that I think would help anybody, no matter what they're doing, and no matter what they're focusing on. Um, I don't know what you think. I think that you hit the nail on the head for me with that. You know, I, I challenge anybody who's listening or, or who will listen, and I hope that's plentiful um, amounts, but I, I challenge you to just get out and go throw the ball around with your kid, you know, go have, um, 
dig his, go, you know, give him a hammer and nails. And I know that's really atypical of what society tells us to do right now. Obviously, keep it safe, give him some glasses and even some, you know, if you want to put steel fingertip gloves on him, that's go, you know, bubble wrap him if you need to. But get him out, get him dirty, you know, teach him that lesson in the small things. You know, my daughter uh, is six and she is, she, Man, she's such a good kid. I'm so blessed with that. But that's not to say that we don't butt heads sometimes just because she's six and she's trying to figure out life still. And, you know, I'm her mom and it's my job to um, love her and discipline her well. She got in she got in trouble the other morning because she didn't want to get up and do our, our routine before school. And obviously, like, you know, get get ready, get dressed, get brush our teeth, do all the things. And I think that if there are any parents out there, they can definitely um relate to those early mornings if you have to get up and get out the door quickly and maybe you overslept or whatever that looks like that it's not always a peaceful time you know in the morning and god bless you if it is tell me call me up tell me what your secrets are right but we just had a rough morning and you know kids can always put things in perspective as they're learning this world and, and trying to figure their world their little worlds out that are so complex they have this innate ability to just recognize the basics for what they are. So I had, I had told her, I, she had this new um, fun thing that, that I got her or gave her the, the day before and it was in her room. And I was, so I was like, don't even look at it. Like you're going to get it taken away for a day. Like, you know, this is, this is the deal when we don't act right. There's that, that consequence, right? When we don't do the right things for the right reasons, there's a consequence for our actions. Um, but when we do do the right things for the right reasons, then, you know, we might be able to, to earn more. And so the next morning, she like, she really took that hard. She really didn't want to lose that, that item, right? And that thing. So the next morning I got up and I walked in her room to go get her up and she was already getting up. She was getting dressed. She was, you know, on the ball. Dave, she even helped me take out the trash that morning. I was super impressed. She's six, right? Like she's just super responsible in this moment. And we're on our way to school. We finally get in the car and we're early and I'm like, Super relaxed morning. It went great, really smoothly. She was super helpful. We get in the car and we're on our way to school. And I said, Winnie, you have what? Thank you so much. Like you were so helpful this morning. You got up. You did everything you were supposed to do. And even you know, we had some extra time to help mom out. Like I'm so grateful. Wasn't that so much easier than arguing with mom in the morning? And she, there was a little bit of silence in the back seat. And she goes, um, no. No, not really. I, you know, I'm, I'm I'm kind of appalled at the moment and taken back. And I said, what? Like, what do you mean? Not really. That's that's silly. Like we I go, I, well, I bit my tongue because I'm trying not to laugh at the same time. And I'm equally as, as confused and um, trying to hide my emotion and saying, well, why do you why do you think that? Why was it more difficult for you to do the right thing and to help out? And she goes, you know, Mama. Sometimes when you're trying so, so hard to be so, so good, it's just really difficult and it's, it's just really hard. And, you know, it's much easier to do the wrong thing and to do, to, it's much easier for me to be bad. And that's just how I feel about it. And I thought, man, what a great life lesson. The, the hard thing is always or the right thing is by nature, usually always the hardest thing to do. And it's, it often takes us swallowing our pride in order to do it. Um, but it's, we do it because it's the right thing to do. 
And it was a beautiful teaching moment for me, for her, as I was trying not to laugh at this logic that is so simplistic, but so on point. You know, it is, I'm biting my tongue as the get, you know, the giggles are coming up. And I thought, man, that's it. Like, it's really hard to do the right thing sometimes. And it's really easy to do the, it's really hard to do the right thing sometimes. See, I'm mixing it up there. <laughs> but um, it's really easy to do the wrong thing. But how much easier is it after we have done the right thing? And so we talked a lot about that and it, it ended up being a great conversation. Um, and I think she took a lot out of that moment, but she's right. It's just easy to do the wrong thing sometimes. And sometimes it's so much more fun to just be bad or to not do the right thing. And I'm not saying that, you know, we all are going to go out and do the wrong thing or pick the, the wrong decision for us or for others. But I think that we, if we take the time to be mindful and to think about that and to think about those outcomes, then we're much better off in the long run. Yeah. I, and I think that's a really, um, a good lesson for everybody to learn. Um, Susan, how can people find you on the internet? Where will we, where can I point them for you? Look me up on social media. Um, you know, Susan Shaw, Facebook, Daily Suze on, on Twitter and Instagram. Um, follow me, ask me questions. Um, I'd love to connect with others um, all the time. I love to talk about great ideas and leadership and the business and, and community that sports provides us. Um, you can also find me at the University of Mobile. Um, come check us out. Uh, cheer for the Rams. Uh, get in, involved with uh, Rams United. Um, you know, our, our tagline with our new brand is is better together. And I think that speaks to exactly what we talked about today, Dave. So I appreciate it. Thanks for hanging out with me today and inviting me on the podcast. I'm, I'm blessed, uh, blessed for it. Oh, man. The, every time we talk, it goes on for several hours. <laughs> so so I'll, I'll, I'll look forward to talking to you again soon, Susan. Thank you so much. Likewise, Dave. Thanks again. Uh, have a good one. I want to thank my guest from the University of Mobile, Susan Shaw. I think that the plumb line example is something that we all could probably use a little more of in our lives. As always, I want to thank our sponsor, Booking Protect, the global leader in refund protection. Again, to find out how you can work with the number one Trustpilot rated refund protection provider in the world, visit www.bookingprotect.com. To find out more about what I'm up to, please go visit my website. That's www.davewakeman.com. You find my blog there. I blog almost every day. You can follow me on Twitter. I'm at David Wakeman. You can connect with me on LinkedIn. Finally, if you like what we're doing with the podcast, I would love it if you'd subscribe. You can find us on iTunes. You can find us on Stitcher. You can find us on TuneIn and almost everywhere you would go to find your podcast. Please subscribe. And if you're so inclined, leave a review. This helps improve us in the rankings, it helps other people find us, and it helps make sure that we still have the opportunity to to have these conversations and deliver value to you. So as always, thank you for being here, and I'll talk to you next time. Take it easy.